Well, it's great to be with you today. It's great to be able to worship with you in person, and I'm especially honored um, to be invited into your home for those of you who are watching today through Faith Troy at home. If you are new to faith or if you are newer to faith, I want to make sure that you know about this happening in two weeks on April the 25th after the 11 a.m. service. If you're looking for a way to um, learn more about who we are as a church, you want to understand more about what it is that we do here at Faith and how we're actually working in our community to take the the good news of Jesus into every relationship. We want to invite you, I want to invite you personally to spend about 45 minutes with us after the 11 a.m. service on April the 25th because I want to help you um, get beyond just simply Sunday morning. We want to help you connect. We want to help you understand more about what's happening here at Faith. We want to answer your questions. We will do this all in about 45 minutes. We will provide child care for you and so I want to make sure that you are aware of this. If you want any more information, if you're interested in signing up, one of the members of our host team would be happy to help you with that in the lobby. That's in two weeks. Now with the resurrection of Jesus, it became incredibly obvious um, that everything that Jesus said about God was in fact true, that God was doing something new in the world for the world. In fact, when you read the Gospels, um, this actually is, is incredibly obvious, and yet somehow at the same time, it's also one of this, this, these things that is so easy to miss. Um, but Jesus did not come to, um, he, he did not come to extend something that was old. Um, Jesus did not come to complete the Bible, right, so that we would have an Old and a New Testament. Uh, and Jesus, he did not come um, to, to create Judaism 2.0, right? He, he did not come to do something for a group of people or for some people. Jesus actually came to do something in the world for the world. In fact, it's the gospel writer John who kind of foreshadows this, and he tells us this right in the very beginning of his gospel, because John tells us that the law was actually given through Moses, right? And then he sets up this tension. In fact, this tension would be the tension that would follow Jesus all throughout his ministry, um, because he says the law was given through Moses. And in the first century, the law was everything to Jewish people. In fact, for some people today, some Jewish people today, the law is still everything. The law was housed in the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. It was the place um, where only the high priest could go one time a year. And the other priest, they would actually tie a rope around his ankle in case he were to die in there. So they could that way pull him out because nobody was going to go in there to get him. And so inside the temple is the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies is the law. The law is everything. Uh, Moses is everything. Moses is the lawgiver, right? Other rabbis, they could comment on the law of Moses. They could illustrate the law of Moses. But you did not mess with the law of Moses. You could talk about it, but you certainly did not change it, right? Jewish law governed every facet of Jewish life in the first century. And so John tells us that the law, it was given through Moses, but, he would say, big contrast, right? But grace and truth, those things actually came through Jesus Christ. Notice John would say this is a contrast, right? This is not an and. This is an instead of. But see, you know this, right? We, we know this just from personal experience. Change Change is hard. And so for years and years after that very first Easter, the apostles and the rest of the witnesses to the resurrection, they, they would travel around telling the story of Jesus and the story of God doing something new. And one of those people was Peter. 
Peter actually traveled all throughout the Roman Empire telling the story of Jesus and telling his own story. And Peter's story for Peter was actually an embarrassing story. It was a difficult story because it was a story that documented some of his greatest embarrassments, some of his biggest failures in life. But the reason that he told it anyway was because, um, because Peter's story was in fact a part of the story of God doing something new. The story of God doing something new in the world for the world. The story of Jesus of Nazareth. Now when Peter actually documents his story for us, um, he's in his 50s. He's been in and out of trouble um, for the last 30 years of his life. He's been imprisoned, he's been tortured, he's been beaten, he has suffered for his faith in Jesus. Anytime Peter would enter a village or a town, the the people there who were the followers of Jesus, they would invite Peter um, into his home, even the people who were just curious about Jesus. And they would say to Peter, they'd always tell him the same thing. They, They would always ask, okay, what was he like? What was he like? What did he say? Right? What was he like up close? Peter, tell us about the time when. Tell us about the time when. Tell us about the time when. And so for 30 years, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter um, is dodging trouble. He's finally, um, he's finally imprisoned in Rome, in Nero's Rome. And he knows, chances are, right? odds are, he knows this time. This time he's not going to make it out of this situation alive. And so Peter decides to once again tell his story. But this time he tells his story for an audience of one. His traveling companion, John Mark. The person that we know simply as Mark. The gospel writer, Mark. And interestingly enough, Peter actually begins his account of the life of Jesus, of the story of Jesus. He begins with the conclusion. It's almost as if Peter's saying, okay, listen, I don't know how much time we have. I don't know how many times we're going to be able to get together and actually do this. So so let me just begin with the most important part. I'm going to begin with the end. I want to begin and make sure that you don't miss what is most important about this story because this is the beginning, Peter says. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to which the skeptic in us wants to say, okay, wait a minute, Peter, time out. Are, Are you sure? Are you sure, Peter, are you sure this is good news? I mean, Peter, where are you right now? Peter, are you sure that you're right about who you think this guy Jesus is? I mean, Peter, you're in jail. You're about to be executed. Are you sure? To which Peter says, am I sure? Listen, I was there. Listen, I I was there. I actually saw it with my own eyes. I I was there when they hurled their insults at him. I was there. I mean, he didn't even retaliate during all this. Am I sure? I mean, when he suffered, listen, I was there. I saw it. When he suffered, he made no threats. In fact, I, I saw this with my own eyes over and over. No matter what they did to him, he just simply entrusted himself. And that's why, in fact, he asks us to entrust ourselves. He, Peter would say he just entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Peter would say, listen, when Jesus was arrested, I don't know if you understand, when Jesus was arrested, I resisted his arrest. Right? He didn't resist his arrest. No, I resisted his arrest. I stood there in the back of that that crowd of people with tears streaming down my face. And I thought, okay, listen, I've been deceived. All hope is gone. All hope is lost. I was there. I, I saw it. He himself, he, he bore our sin. I didn't understand it at the time. 
But see, it all came together for me. It all came together for me. And so, of course, I'm sure. Uh, uh, this is why I spent the last 30 years of my life telling the story. He bore our sin. He bore my sin on his, in his body on the cross. I was there. I saw it. Even with everything that I've experienced, even with everything I've gone through in these last 30 years, listen, I'm telling you, even with what waits ahead of me with Nero in Rome, what I have experienced in these past 30 years is that Jesus has given to us, he has given to us a new birth, a birth into a living hope from the resurrection of the dead. And so, of course, I'm sure, I looked into an empty tomb and I had conversations with my resurrected Savior, my living, breathing, resurrected Savior. So, yes, I'm confident. And yes, I know who he is. And yes, I know that his story, it is the story of God doing something good in the world for the world. And so, Peter, he just begins his account with the life of Jesus um, which, with the, the big idea of the story, which actually can be a little bit hard for us. Because, see, when we read the Gospels especially, um, we actually get focused on all of the little stories. Right? In fact, our challenge in reading the Bible, if you actually read the Bible, right, our challenge in reading the Bible is that we read it devotionally. Right? We, we read it devotionally, meaning when we read the Bible, we go looking for application. Right? Like, like, what do I do in this situation? Or we read it for inspiration. Right? How do I have hope in the midst of difficult times? Or, or we read it for direction. Like, God, I have all these choices in front of me, so which one of these do, do I choose? And, and so we like the story of the prodigal son, right? because God is like the father who forgives the son and invites him back. We love reading the, the interaction, the account of that interaction between Jesus and the woman caught in adultery because Jesus forgives her and he tells her don't sin anymore, but at the same time he doesn't condemn her. We love to read the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan um, because the Samaritan shows mercy to someone who, who may not have shown mercy to him. But, Peter would say, don't miss this, as great as all of those little stories are, all of those are in fact actually illustrations. They're all just little illustrations of the great big story. They're all illustrations of this overarching message of Jesus, the story of God doing something in the world for the world, the teachings that we love, the narratives that we love, the stories that we love. All of those, Peter would say, they're like little puzzle pieces that all fit together into this grand picture, this, this grand narrative. Right? So there's a sense in which at the very beginning of his account of the life of Jesus, um, Peter is taking out the puzzle box and he's shaking all the pieces out of the box. And he spreads them all out on the table and then he holds up the front of the box and he says, okay, when I'm done, this is what my story, this is how all the pieces are going to fit together. This is what the big story of Jesus is going to look like. It is good news. Now, let's talk about us for a second. When I was growing up, and even when I was in college, when I was a young adult, um, if you would have said to me, okay, Joe, um, what is the big story? What's the big picture of Jesus? What's the, the, the big picture of church? Um, what's the big picture of, of Christianity? Um, what's, the big, what's the big picture here? 
Okay, so if, if you'd have asked me that, um, I, I probably would have responded um, by saying something um, like this. Here, here's all of us, right? We're all here on planet Earth, right? There, there's me, there's me, and there's you, and there's all of us, right? And we're all here. And all of us are kind of, we're kind of living our lives, right? We're living our lives. And, um, and those lives are good or they're bad. Sometimes they're better. Sometimes they're worse. But, but, but regardless of what we experience in life, all of us, we're, we're trying to stay more on this side of the line than that side of the line. Um, none, none of us is perfect. Um, we get things wrong occasionally. Um, but no matter what, we're, we're always trying to stay up here um, more than down there. And, and so we're all just trying to, to make the best of, of everything. But, um, but the truth is we're all kind of a mixed bag and we all kind of know that. But, but at some point, at some point, I would say, and you would probably say, at some point, you know, my story is going to end. And, and I don't know when that is, but God is going to say, okay, it's over, we're done with this. And then um, when that happens, right, when God says that, that we're done or I'm done or however that works, then, then based on either how, how good you've been or how bad you've been or perhaps um, certain ideas that you may hold uh, about um, Jesus, then, then your destiny is going to be either one of, of two places. It's either going to be um, in, in the good place and that we call heaven, or it's going to be in the not-so-good place that, that we call hell. And, and the more that you actually talk to people, right, about these two places, the, the, the more you kind of come to discover that in the popular mind, the cultural imagination, right, um, both of these places are kind of disembodied, um, non-physical places, um, right? This one has to do with like angels and clouds and harps and singing and maybe if you're lucky a bow and arrow. Um, this one, right, has to do with like, um, like subterranean torture, right, um, where, where God is um, kind of sadistically hurting people. Right? This is kind of the, the, the picture of, of what many people in our world think the big picture of Jesus is all about. In fact, um, that, that's the picture that most people in the West think the big picture of Jesus is all about. Some of you in the room right now, some of you watching at home right now, you might be sitting there kind of thinking to yourselves, okay, well, that, it kind of is. I mean, if I'm honest, that kind of is what I think the big picture of Jesus is all about. But see, listen, if, if we would have said that to Peter, right, Peter would look at us like, like we're crazy. Not because there isn't truth in this. But because it's not the full picture, it's not the, the, the big picture. In fact, Peter would say, listen, that's not the, the big picture of the life and the teaching of Jesus. Because remember, the story of Jesus is good news. It, it, it is good news. This is a story about the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, just like it was written in Isaiah the prophet. I'm going to send my messenger ahead of you. The one who will prepare your way, right? So according to Peter, according to Peter, the good news about Jesus, um, the Messiah, the Son of God, it actually links us up to a story that's already happening. A story that's already taking place. And it has something to do with what the prophet Isaiah actually said. That God is going to return um, to be with people personally. That he's going to do something in the world for the world. That Jesus actually comes as the fulfillment of a promise that God has made to rescue you and me and people. 
Peter continues and he says this in, in verse 14. He tells us that Jesus actually went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, okay, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news to which we want to say, okay, wait a minute, Peter, Peter, let me get this straight. Are you saying that what Jesus just said, that that's the good news? Peter, let me get this straight. If I ever wanted to hear the good news, if I ever wanted to hear the gospel from Jesus' lips himself, right? are you telling me that that's what Jesus just said? Yes, Peter would say. Yes, exactly. Now look at verse 15, right? What, what is it? What, what is it? What is, what, is it? what is the good news? Right? What is the good news? Jesus says, okay, repent and believe the good news. Right? So apparently the good news is actually something that Jesus just said in the first half of this sentence. And the good news is that something is coming here. Right, that something has come here, that the kingdom of God has come here. So, Peter, what you're saying is, according to Jesus, in Jesus' mind, right, the reason Jesus is here, why he's here, who he is, what it is that he is actually here to do, the gospel. That's not about us going somewhere, that's actually about God coming here, it's about God doing something here, which again, according to Jesus, is good news. Exactly. Exactly, Peter would say. And see, that's a very different story than this story right here. In fact, there's actually multiple things that are wrong with this story. First of all, this is a story that's all about me. This is a story that's all about me and what I'm doing that's either good or bad. And then God is just someone who shows up at the end of the story to assign me a role in the story, right? That's not the gospel. That's certainly not the message or the gospel or the story of Jesus. The story about Jesus, the good news about Jesus is all about what God is doing, what God is doing in our world. This is a story that focuses on me and my behavior and whether or not I happen to hold or have certain information about Jesus or something, right? That is not the gospel. The gospel is about God's activity. It is about God's purposes. It's about God's work and what it is that God is doing in our world through Jesus, which is, in fact, good news for our world. And what is that? That God's kingdom, right? God's kingdom, which means his rule and his reign, that God's kingdom has arrived in the person of Jesus, which means that Jesus is actually here to address some sort of a problem. And Jesus is going to resolve this problem through what it is that he does while he is here. And again, that is good news. And see, that's also a very different story than this story right here. The time has come, Jesus said. In other words, the whole world has actually been waiting for this. The whole world, not just the Jewish world. No, the whole world has been waiting for this. Everything up until this point, Jesus would say, has been preparation. Everything before was a hint. Everything before this, it was just foreshadowing. 
The kingdom has come. The time has come. God's kingship, right? That's the best way to understand his kingdom. The, the, the God's kingship, right? His rule, his right to rule. The kingdom of God has come near because the king is in town. And wherever the king goes, the kingdom goes with him. So the kingdom of God, which Jesus talks about all the time, the kingdom of God is not simply about something, someplace you go after you die. No, it is about something that has arrived in Jesus. Now again, we have to pause here for a moment and kind of let all that settle for a minute. And what's so important for us to understand as we talk about this and as we think about this um, is that as we go through the pages of Scripture, when we hear about and when we talk about um, uh, God's space and our space, we use the terms heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are, in fact, ways of describing God's space and our space. And while these two spaces are certainly different in nature, again, according to Scripture, and we're going to see this in just a minute, that does not mean that these two spaces are always separated. Now, in fact, according to Scripture, a better way to think about these two spaces is actually as um, dimensions that um, overlap, right? Which seems crazy, but the big picture of Scripture, in fact, all the Scripture is actually about um, how these two spaces were at one time fully united and then how they were driven apart and then what it is that God is actually doing, how God is working, how God is at work to reunite them and bring them back together once again. This is what the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity were able to be together perfectly without any separation. But see, as humans, we actually wanted to do something different, and we wanted a different way, and we wanted God's, God out of our world, and we wanted God out of our lives, and we wanted something that was actually separate from him. And Scripture actually gives us glimpses of where these two spaces, where it is that they actually overlap, where it is that in these separate worlds, people could come and experience the, the presence of God. And a temple is where these two spaces of heaven and earth would overlap. A temple is where people would go to experience the presence of God. The scriptures actually describe two different types of temples for us. Um, the first is a tabernacle, which is basically like a giant tent um, that was built by Moses. And then the second is, uh, is just called the temple. It was built by Solomon. It was this massive stone building. And we're going to talk about more about temples in a couple of weeks. But this is why, this is, this is why um, the Apostle John, why he begins his gospel very intentionally by telling us that the word, it actually became flesh and it made his dwelling, it made its dwelling uh, among us. That God actually became um, human in Jesus and he made his dwelling uh, among us. The Greek word that is translated as the word dwelling here is actually the word for tabernacle. And so the Apostle John is saying, what he's telling us right up front is that Jesus is actually a temple. Jesus is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. But see, the presence of a temple, the presence of something overlapping in our world, it always creates a problem. Because God's space is full of his goodness and his justice and his mercy and his love. But human space is full of sin and injustice and death and all of the ugliness that results from those things. 
And this conflict, this conflict between these two spaces is what is resolved through what the Bible calls sacrifice. But see, here's what's so interesting about Jesus compared to the other temples that we learn about as we open up the pages of Scripture. Jesus um, doesn't stay, right? He doesn't stay in one um, safe, clean space, right? Jesus is actually out um, running around in our world, healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sin. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven on earth where people can actually be in God's presence, but he's doing it in, in our space, in the world of sin and death. And Jesus keeps telling all of his followers, he says, I want you to pray regularly that God's kingdom, that God's kingdom would actually come, that, that God's will would be done on earth just as God's will is done in heaven. And see, the scriptures not only talk about Jesus as a temple, but they also talk about Jesus as a temple sacrifice, which, which seems to ruin this whole idea of reuniting heaven and earth. But, but Peter would say, but listen, that, that's the whole point. Right, that's the whole point. That's why Jesus, remember what I told you at the beginning, Peter would say. That's why I told you that Jesus, he bore our sin. He bore your sin on the cross to create a, a space that was not limited, like animal sacrifice. In fact, Jesus' sacrifice, it has the power to keep spreading and spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more and more of heaven on earth. And yes, it is personal, Peter would say, Absolutely. And certainly there is an eternal um, component to it. But, but see, there's also something for you, right, for us in the here and the now, Peter would say. That you can live every single day of your life knowing that God is actually near. Because while it's certainly true that the, the New Testament tells us that as followers of Jesus, we will be with Jesus when we die. That's, that's not actually the focus of the story. The focus of the story is how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and how they will once again be fully united at some point when Jesus returns. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. And see, God's story is in fact a good story. In fact, if you look at the very first sentence of the Bible, it tells us that in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And what does it not say? It does not say that God made the heavens and the earth and hell. Whatever hell is, God did not make it. God made the heavens and the earth. And what does God think about the heavens and the earth that he made? He says they're good. He says they are very very good. Hell actually comes into the story later, if you're familiar with the story. Right? Hell actually comes into the story later, and hell is a result, what we're told. It's the result of what happened when, when humans tried to seize autonomy and control from God, when we said that we did not want God in our world. Now, Jesus' brother James um, actually talks about hell. And what he says about hell is 
um, is, is somewhat disturbing, I'll be honest, but I think you would probably agree with what he says after you kind of get over the, the shock of it. Because um, James tells us that um, what it is that we as people do with our tongues, he says that's actually set on fire by hell. Now, think about this for a minute. Follow me. The implication of this, right, the implication of this is that hell is not just simply something that shows up at the end of the story. The implication of what James is telling us is that hell is actually a part of our reality that now, that hell is actually a part of the reality of our present story. That hell is a reality that humans actually unleash on each other and we also unleash it on God's world. And it destroys relationships and it destroys people and it destroys the good things that God has created and it impacts and it affects not only us but it also impacts and affects our world. And see, the good news of Jesus is the story of God wanting to heal his world and to get the hell out of earth. Because listen, God hates hell. Because hell is the unleashing of selfishness and sin and evil and all of the breakdown and the degradation of people who have been made right in his image. Don't miss that. The story of Jesus is the story of God restoring us to be what he originally intended us to be from day one. What the Bible calls the fall is the story of people unleashing hell on earth. And so Jesus arrives on the scene announcing good news, right? Good news. The time has come, Jesus said. Heaven is here to confront evil, to confront sin, to confront the hell and the disastrous effects that hell has on people. See, this is why the gospel writers, don't miss this, all the gospel writers go to great lengths to tell us about Jesus casting evil out. Evil out of people, personal evil, spiritual evil, relational evil. Because Jesus hates hell. Jesus hates what hell does to people and he hates where it leads people. In fact, this is something else that that we would all agree on. In fact, Jesus would agree with us also, we can all agree that the sexual abuse and the exploitation of people, and especially children, for money is wrong. It is evil. It is a plague. And every single one of us, every single one of us, we want it out of our world and we want it gone from our world. Now, we actually give that a more comfortable name because we refer to that whole thing as sex trafficking or pornography. We give it a more comfortable name so that we don't actually have to think about the reality of what it is. But when we realize that we hate it and all of us, all of us actually want it gone from our world. Now, listen, God also hates sex trafficking. God also hates pornography. Jesus hates it. But Jesus actually takes it much more seriously than we do because we want to get rid of sex trafficking. Jesus wants to get rid of lust. Jesus talks about this root desire that's in every single one of us. You, me, all of us. This root desire that we have in us that actually wants to use other people who have been made in the image of God to personally gratify myself. Jesus is way more serious than any of us are 
about evil and getting evil out of our world. See, we look at our world and we look at the results of, of, of the ravages of injustice and racism and genocide, and we all, all of us want that gone from our world. Jesus also wants that gone from our world, but once again, he's even more serious about this than we are. Because we want to get rid of injustice and racism and genocide. Jesus wants to get rid of pride and arrogance and contempt and rage from the human heart. Because James tells us where all of these evils reside, all of them, he tells us, they are a hellfire. And all of them are ignited by these these small sparks, these deep-rooted distortions that reside in the human heart. Jesus wants to get the hell out of you, and he wants to get the hell out of this world. And that is good news. And see, all of us want that. But the truth is, if we're honest, all of us are actually terrified by this. Because, see, we want the hell out of our world, but the truth is, all of us are smart enough to know. Where does evil reside? Where does rage reside? Where does pride, where does arrogance, where does contempt, where does all of that reside? In me. In me. And so we want God to get the evil out of our world, but we want God to do it without getting rid of me. And see, once again, once again, Jesus is far, far more serious about this than we are. And so how does Jesus the great physician and the great healer, how does he come to heal us and to get the hell out of us? Right, Jesus, he lives a hell-free existence. He shows us what life is really supposed to be like. God becomes human to be the kind of human that all of us were called and created to be, but perpetually fail to be. And so Jesus lives this hell-free, this sin-free life, this life that only gives, only loves, this life that is only others first. It's completely upside down. Jesus lives this hell-free life, and he actually allows, think about this, he allows the hell that we have created to overwhelm him and to kill him. Jesus actually allows, think about this, the hell that we have created to exhaust its power on him. It is only in an upside down kingdom that the Friday on which Jesus died could ever be called good. And the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is this moment of new life. It is the offer. It is the proof. It is the promise of a hell free life in the present and and for eternity. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Right, repent. Now listen, the, the word repent, this word, it literally means you're going in this direction. I just want you to turn and I want you to go the other way. That's what the word repent means. Jesus is saying, listen, don't keep walking away from me. I want you to come towards me. You don't have to be scared of me, Jesus would say. No, no, this is good news. This is good news. Just come towards me, repent, 
and believe. And the word that Jesus uses here, this word believe, is such an interesting little Greek word. It's pistos, pistomen. Um, it, it means um, not only do I want you to believe that something happened, not only do I want you to believe that the kingdom has come, no, I want you to entrust yourself with it. I want you to entrust yourself to it. I want you to follow my lead, Jesus would say. I want you to give yourself to it, to fully submit to it, to surrender to it. To surrender to this brand new upside down kingdom and this brand new king. Because he's good. Believe the good news. God wants to get the hell out of you. And that is the best news ever. But for those who say no. For those who say no, I, I, no, I, I do not want to participate. I like my kingdom. I like my old kingdom. I do not want to participate in God's recreation of heaven and earth. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, um, he makes this incredible statement. Um, he says that hell is actually, think about this, hell is God's monument. It's God's monument to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. Because see, what God will not do, God will not allow hell to eternally ravage and ruin his good world, or more importantly, the people. The people that he loves. The people that he made to bear and to carry his image. You. You. The good news, possibly the best news that you've ever heard, depending on where you are in life right now or what's going on in your life right now, the news that became so abundantly clear to Peter and what's going to become so abundantly clear to all of us as we move throughout the course of this series is that in this brand new kingdom, the most incredible thing about it is that everybody, everybody, everyone is invited to participate in it. And Jesus, Jesus is so committed so committed to getting the hell out of you and the hell out of this world that he lived for you. He died for you. He was raised for you. The story of Jesus is the story of God doing something new in the world for the world and for you. The kingdom has come. God has come near. The question for you, the question for me is, would we be open enough to explore it? Would we be willing to, to open up the door and to peek in and to see what's inside this brand new kingdom, this good kingdom that God has brought near? Would we be willing turn in his direction and to believe to believe the good news 
that the upside-down kingdom is here. Heavenly Father, Father, in your word, Father, you, you make it clear that our hope, our hope for something more um, in this life, that, that's not simply wishful thinking, um, f- that's not having a, a positive attitude, it's not just putting on a happy face. Father, when you tell us about hope, um, you're reminding us of this rock-solid expectation that we can have, something that we can actually build our lives on. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would give us the faith we need to believe that your words are true, that the kingdom, that your kingdom is here, that it is a good news kingdom, that this is good because you love us. And so, Jesus, we pray. We pray that not only would your kingdom grow, not only would your kingdom come, but, Jesus, that we would actually love you more. More than simply the idea of your kingdom. No, that we would love you. That we would want your rule and your reign in me, not them, in me. And that you would do this, Jesus, that you would do this in us, that you would do this in me now. Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us the faith that we need to not simply hold on to what is comfortable to us because it's familiar, because we understand it, because it makes sense to us. Father, give us the faith we need to hear the words of your son Jesus when he promises us the good news is that my kingdom has come for you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.